Okay, turn with me in uh, your Bibles to Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. And we're going to be looking at uh, this third chapter for the next few weeks. And we will uh, attempt to see how God can open its great truths to our lives and make a difference in how we live, even in our modern-day world. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. I'm reading from the New, or from the English Standard Version. And uh, we'll be reading this morning, and your text will be close to mine. I believe the words will show on the screen. But hear the word of the Lord this morning. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This holiday weekend, this Fourth of July weekend, forces some of us to rethink what we know a little bit about American history and the story of our independence. That story has seen perhaps several new versions in the past several years. And it doesn't always ring quite as clear or, shall I say, quite as authentically, seemingly, as it once did. But this morning, I I can't just settle to talk about the independence of the United States as grateful to God as I am for it. That our task, again, is to look at the fact that we are called as men and women to a state of dependency before God. That it is our independence that we submit and surrender to him as a part of our ongoing story of faith. Within the last generation or so, biblical scholars, theologians have talked a great deal about the significance of narrative about the stories that we tell, the stories to which we are committed. And as I look out at you this morning, I recognize that each of us comes with our own stories, those moments in our life that have made all of the difference in the world. I see the 
teenagers standing before us this morning. I was at the very second Youth Congress. We called it International Institute back then. And there were about 550 of us, not 6,000, who met up at the YMCA Camp of the Rockies up in Rocky Mountain National Park. We drove those 1,250 miles from central Michigan out to Colorado. And as I was thinking, I, I would have attended the very first one, but I wasn't old enough, and they wouldn't let me. Thought about it. But I think of the difference that it made for a teenager in central Michigan attending a small church, growing up in an exceedingly small community. And what I learned about the church beyond the walls of that little church in New Lothrop, Michigan, was significant. Was significant. My roommates, Romero Valdez from San Antonio, Texas, and Paul Christmas from southern Indiana, Harold Winfrey from Hugo, Oklahoma. What a great mix that was for us to be a part of that international institute, as they called it, in that beautiful setting in the Rockies. That experience in July 1962 had an indelible mark on my life. It's a part of my story. You have parts of your story that, that most of us don't know about, but that have marked you with great significance. And so as we read this account from Galatians chapter 3, I'm aware that there are several stories here. Several. There's the story of Israel itself. There's the story of Abraham as he finds himself within that tradition. Paul's story. The story of Christ. The story of the Galatians as they have come to know Jesus out of their pagan backgrounds. The story of Paul's opponents who challenge his gospel, who think it's not adequate to meet the needs of humanity. And then there's our story. As we read these stories, as we encounter the scripture and try to come to terms with what it means to experience that kind of radical faith, that would determine the outlook of our lives. We're story-shaped people. And the gospel that we preach is shaped by story, by events that were bigger than anyone could know or understand. But we begin this morning with this first story, this, this story of Israel, a story shaped by the work of Moses and the law that was given to him by God. Paul Hansen, who for many years has taught Old Testament at Harvard Divinity School, 
Hansen is convinced that the story of Israel really begins following the Exodus. As the children of Israel begin to make their way toward Canaan. As they begin to be a people. As they begin to understand what it means now to live in the will of God. Very, very important time in Israel's life. But if the story of Israel is shaped by the Exodus, there is also that marvelous prequel to the story that we find in Genesis as we read of a God of creation. A God who spoke existence into being. And we don't read far until we encounter the tragic fall of humanity and the entrance of sin and death into the world and all that took place. And that story in itself culminating in the flood, the destruction of life as it had been known, save for Noah and his family. And out of that experience, here's Father Abraham, a pagan growing up in Ur the Chaldees. Ur, by the way, in the uh, late second century B.C., was quite a teeming city. It was no small place. And there was Abraham, somehow hearing the voice of God, and with his family making that move to the west and north up to Haran, that crossroad center between different civilizations. And he hears the voice of God again, and he begins that trek southward to that land which had been promised to him by God. This story of Abraham, a story of great faith, but a story in which, for Abraham, there seemed to be very few answers to lots of probing questions. As we read on, we come to Moses, and we find this one shaped in ways that that few could understand. This Hebrew child being raised in the luxury of Pharaoh's courts, knowing the language and history and culture of the Egyptian people, and yet unable to break his bonds with his kinfolk. And he kills the Egyptian. And he's recognized as perhaps a traitor. And he flees to, as the old King James said, the backside of the desert. There to learn life in solitude. And in a far different way than he knew life in the courts of Egypt. But by God's encounter, he 
begins to give structure and order to this new people. Torah has come by divine revelation. The law is there. And now he's the one to encourage them to accept this theological politic of God. To give them meaning in their journey. I think about that and I'm, I'm dumbfounded by how Israel must have responded to Moses. To this idea of the law dominating and shaping their lives. But as the story goes on, King David and the rise of the monarchy, the division of Israel into two nations, Israel and Judah, the problems of disobedience that lead to the exile and to the destruction of Jerusalem itself and God's holy temple. And all of this brought about because of their inability to see what it meant to entrust themselves to God. And it was this law that seemed so precarious to them, this law that demanded their obedience. But this law that also was restricted to rather nationalistic concerns within Israel. It was Jeremiah who in chapter 31 began to see that there was something more. And there was a time coming when there would be a new law that would not be like the old law, because it wouldn't be written on tablets of stone. It would be written in their hearts to make all of the difference. That's pretty much the story of Israel. You know, you can read it right there in those 39 books that we don't always turn to. But it's a marvelous account. And it's all laid out there better than I could ever tell the story. But a story that compels us to recognize the wonder of a creator God who has a people he calls his own, that he cherishes and loves, and that he judges as well. And that he redeems as well. And the story goes on. And it goes on. But if there's the story of Israel, there's the story of Paul. Now, who is shaped by Christ as well as by Abraham. So Paul comes along, a Jew, a good Jew. Met all of the criteria necessary to be a good Jew. And he Lays it out for us there in Philippians 3. He tells us who he is. But you see, this Jew, this Pharisee, this zealous heart for the law, encountered the risen Christ and everything changed in his life. He's still a Jew. 
he's still going to make his vow to God and shave his head, as the book of Acts tells us. But he is now one who has placed his faith firmly in Christ. And as he understood the story of his people, Israel, he realized that the focus was no longer the law, but that it was the faith that was typified by Father Abraham. Earlier in the week, before the marine lair and all prevented it, were you able to look out into the western sky and see the convergence of Venus and Jupiter? Did you see that? Wasn't it marvelous? I'm, I'm excited. I know nothing about astronomy. But I sure recognize those sights when people tell me they're going to be in the sky. I go looking for them. An amazing view as you saw them moving closer and closer together as the nights progressed. Can you imagine Father Abraham... In the land of Canaan, without the distortion of light that so often we find in our cities, hearing the voice of God tell him, Abraham, look to the sky and see the stars of the heavens, and so shall your offspring be. Here he was, an old man with a barren wife. It seemed hopeless. But the text says, Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. He didn't count his great moral behavior. He wasn't counting at that point his confession of sin. But Abraham believed God. I must tell you another little part of my story. When I was pastoring in Hawaii, <clears throat> I thought I might want to do a little more education while I was there even. And uh, there were no seminaries or graduate schools of religion. But there was the University of Hawaii. And at that time, it still had a department of classics where you could study Greek and Latin and uh, try to read the ancient documents. And so I went and made application to enter the classics program at uh, UH. My first interview with the head of the department was an interesting one. He, uh, he addressed me by my name. He said, Smith, I see that uh, you've had some Greek and it's all been koine. The Greek of the New Testament said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, do you guys still believe that the word pistuo means believe? He said, it means trust. That's what it means to entrust ourselves. To... I thought, I'm going to like this guy. He was passionate about what he understood. And he was right. 
about the word to believe in Scripture. For it's not just about having some idea and say, oh yeah, I believe that and it makes very little difference to us. No, 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 no. Abraham believed God and he entrusted everything he had to that promise. Everything. He gave himself fully to that cause. And it's going to be another 25 years before the promise is fulfilled. And yet Isaac will be born. And you see, it is that faith. It is that understanding of Abraham's story that marked Paul as he began to think about the crucified Christ. We think about the crucified Christ and, uh, you know, we've heard the story so much, it's nothing unusual to us. But I don't think we understand how alarming, <laughs> how, how disorienting it must have been to first century ears to think that one was giving their life in allegiance to a crucified person. You see, the Romans didn't crucify just anybody. They crucified bad people. People who were treasonous. Slaves who had perhaps been caught in murder or treachery against their masters. They weren't in the business just of crucifying good people. And so if people didn't know better, they would have thought Jesus was just a part of that rabble that deserved the fate of Rome's capital punishment. Paul urged his people not to place their faith in their own ability to do good works. Or to be morally just and upright. Or even in the confession of their sins. But to cast themselves without holding anything back upon the power of Christ to give us access to God. You see, that's the new story. And Paul thought what he was doing was just extending that story of Israel to include Jesus, this fulfillment of God's promise to Israel for a coming Messiah. And so we have stories diverging here about whether or not we will accept Jesus as the one in whom we place our trust. Will it be Jesus? Will it be Moses and the tradition? That became the question. That became the issue. It's in the, the, the great concern that Paul faced. Now, the interesting thing, if you read the text, what is happening in Galatia is that Paul has preached 
his gospel of the crucified Christ and their need to respond by faith. And others have come in in his absence and they begin to say, you know, Jesus is okay. But he's not enough. We have to continue to keep the law. We have to continue to do our part. And these works of the law are crucial to us. And they were confronted with now divergent stories. And yet Paul knows what had happened amongst them. He had preached to them. He saw their response. And so he asks them, did you receive the Spirit? By works of law or by the hearing of faith? Does the one who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do it by works of faith or by the hearing of faith? He knew the answer. And he went on to tell them, about Father Abraham in verses 6 through 9. And he uses a, a phrase that has captured my imagination. And I don't know what to do with it totally. But he says to him, to them, And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. What a marvelous statement. That the gospel of God's grace reaching out to all the nations had been preached even to Father Abraham. Hundreds and hundreds of years before. So, <clears throat> we know Israel's story. We know a little bit about Paul's story. And we're going to have to leave the story of the Galatians and Paul's opponents. And even the story of Christ, although we touched on it a little bit. So that we can just maybe bring this to a close by looking at our story. In which the old story becomes our story. In our world today, we have the convergence of lots of stories. Lots of people calling for our attention to bring about that kind of spiritual hope that we need. Being a you know, child of the 60s and all, I can remember the hope of the Eastern religions that they brought to many in America. And those great Indian gurus would come and give their message. And people would follow for a while. For a while. The Hare Krishna, you know, they were there. Sun, young moon and the unification church. And all of the isms that have developed. And here we are attempting to find our way through this maze of stories that can give to us a sense of spiritual wholeness. 
as we contemplate and consider even life beyond the grave. People have frequently considered that question. Not always knowing how to arrive, but they've thought much about it. So where do we fit in? How do we choose the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I am somewhat skeptical to think that the story of the crucified Christ is but one of many stories in our world. But it is God's revelation to us. And however we receive that story and however we see fit to take it to others through word and deed and concern. We're called to do that. Let's not be tricked for other stories or by other stories. It's this old story of faith in a creator God who has come to us in his son, crucified though he was, raised as he was, that we might have hope for today as well as all of the tomorrows of eternity. But it begins with hearing the message, as we hear many messages. But not merely hearing about Jesus, the good teacher, or Jesus, the great healer, though he was both of those. But recognizing that he, through his death and resurrection, became the means of our access to God himself. That we might know life in its fullness. That we might, as a part of the body of Christ, recognize that there is more to this life than today. The old story becomes our story because it's God's story. And what we must do in all of this is to bring about that sense of trust and commitment in which we are willing to give our lives regardless of the cost. One of the stories I remember in the early 60s as those great movements fomented by communism and all in Central Africa began to be made known. There was a missionary doctor by the name of Paul Carlson in Central Africa. And they had heard that the rebels were coming to take over the mission compound. And Dr. Carlson and some of the other leaders were able to hurry and get everybody out the back side of the compound and across the wall and hopefully moving towards safety. And as he made sure that all were safe and as he began to climb that wall, 
He was shot in the back and killed and lay across that wall. And I thought, how could that be? This trained doctor, this one who was giving himself in service to others, killed in this senseless act of political revolution. You see, I can't answer the questions as why. Paul Carlson died there. But he died making a difference. He died in faith, believing that he was making a difference for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God hasn't asked most of us to give our lives in that manner. But does your story include that kind of faith? That if he were willing to ask you, would you? Would I? You see, the idea of this radical faith in God. It's not merely about what it gets for me. We've got to overcome. We've got to grow up in the church and stop that kind of thinking. What's in this for me? Amen. See. What we have to begin thinking about is what can I do by faith for Jesus to make a difference right Where I live. My brothers and sisters. It begins here in the body of Christ. Where we hone our love and our skills in discipleship together. But it continues. As each of us live out our faith on our jobs and in our homes and in our recreational pursuits. Committed to the task of serving Christ in all that we do. Have you had that encounter with Christ in which you placed your complete trust in him? Dare I say in a heretical way. That that is even more important than the confession of sins, my brothers and sisters. Because without that, there is no redemption beyond our confession. It's more important than our moral good deeds. Because they're just our good works apart from faith. Do you believe Christ is your access to God Your only access to God. Do you believe that? It'll make a difference. And may God help all of us as we seek to understand what that kind of a life means in the midst of a world that could really care less.